in the uh, last week or so, my wife and I have had a, a couple different opportunities to sit down and, and talk with people uh, about Jesus and, and give a gospel presentation to talk about sin, how sin separates us, um, how Christ redeems us, about eternity, immortality with God forever. And, and what we were saying last night, as she, she finished meeting with someone last night, and what we were saying is, man, it is so... It's so encouraging to talk to someone about Jesus. It's so encouraging to give a, a gospel presentation and to see the light bulb kind of go on in there like, okay, I, I need this. It, it's, it's one of those things where you feel like you feel like you're living a little bit just a glimpse of what they would have done in the book of Acts. You know, as they're preaching and proclaiming and meeting in houses and they're breaking bread and they're talking to people, you know, in the in the square and all these different places and they're telling them about the power of the resurrection and people are saying, what do I need to do to be saved? And they're saying, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you and your entire household. And you're seeing these things happen and you're like, man, that's, I want more of that. Like, I, I want that. And we were talking about that, my wife and I in the kitchen last night, right before I'm recording this. And what we were saying is, you know, that that's just like contagious, right? Like when you're done meeting with someone, you're like, okay, who's next? Like, I want to go to the store. I want to talk to someone else. I want to get online. I want to want to have a phone call. Is there someone that I need to approach with this? Because that's the power of the gospel. That the gospel is the only thing that's ever going to change us. The gospel is the only thing that's ever really going to give us on this side of eternity a glimpse of what the other side of eternity is going to be like. That's it. And then I go and I meet with other believers or I go online or wherever I'm at, men's gatherings or whatever it is, and you see other people and we're just so apathetic as Christians. Like, where's your fire? Like, where's your passion for Jesus? We're so ritualistic in, in our parking spots and where we sit and if we show up and where we might serve or not serve and whether we give or don't give. And we're so like stuck in this thing. And you see people who've been in churches for years and for some reason they never, they never appear to be maturing to the point that they are sitting across the table from someone and telling them, about the sin and how Romans 3.23 that we all have sin and the wages of sin is death. But if we are baptized into his death and into the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, we identify with that, that the spirit of God is going to live in us and it's going to raise us to from the dead and that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Like telling them, like, let's partner together and let's get more people to Jesus. I just don't see that much on a regular basis. And I was thinking about this recently. And hear me when I say this, that when, when I came to Christ, when someone sat across the table from me and they gave a gospel presentation to me, to the best of my recollection, all I remember understanding was, I have sin. I need forgiveness for that sin. Jesus is the only way for that forgiveness. I grasp onto the idea that I didn't want to live in hell. I was pretty sure I didn't want to do that. And here's what I remember. I highlight on my notes here that what I remember was someone saying, follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus. You get to live out the Great Commission. Okay, I, I, 
I was going to have a hard enough time learning to follow Jesus. The incentive not to go to hell would be enough to get me to learn how to do that. Number two, though, I wasn't really down with that. To help someone else follow Jesus, I was like, nah, that's not my thing. That's more of, that's got the preacher guy thing. That's And what I learned as I got in the Word of God, no, it's, it's everybody's thing. And I got to be honest, I'm so thankful that I was ignorant to all the movements and the creeds and the denominations and the catechisms and all these things. I, was, I had no idea about any of this stuff. I had no idea about the things that put us into groups and addresses and all these little collective safe, quote-unquote, Christian funnels. I, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't because I remember reading a book, and I don't remember the name of the book, but I had this idea that I was going to write all these churches in my hometown, and I was going to try to get some kind of rally together. I was trying to... Like, let's win this city for Jesus. I remember doing that. I had the letters. I had the envelopes. I don't believe I ever mailed them. I backed out for some reason. I had no idea that other denominations and movements didn't like didn't hang out together. I, I, I didn't know. I was just like, man, you love Jesus. We love Jesus. You go there. That's cool. That's your logo. I don't care. Let's just tell people about Jesus. That, that was it. And I, I got to be honest. I'm a real simple guy. You don't care about that. We care about Jesus. But I, I, I'm a simple guy. As, as God is my witness, I finished last in my high school class. It was a small high school class. But I did graduate. Uh, I did get a degree in college. I did, I did do that. I've never been the smartest person in, in any room. But I, tell you, I can tell you this. When I get into the Word of God, I am left without any excuse to ever think that I don't have a responsibility to mature as a man of God. When I get in the Word of God, I see people, as Acts describes them, unschooled, ordinary men. Some of them highly educated, some of them not at all. I see these guys and I think, that's us. That's what we are supposed to be doing. But we're not that much. I, I don't feel like that that's happening. And I feel like, as a simple guy, I was never good at division, okay? I was never really good at subtraction. I like addition and multiplication. Let's bring people together. Let's add some multiplication to this. Let's multiply. Isn't that what God, the first command that God gave man in the garden, Genesis, was that 1, 26, 27, 28, somewhere in there? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And that's not just in child rearing. I'm done having kids, to my knowledge. I'm done. So I can say, well, I'm out. No, be fruitful and multiply. Make disciples. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. He didn't say, find other brothers and sisters in Christ who believe the same creeds and confessions, etc. that you do, and have a holy huddle with them, and keep everyone else at a distance. And you have your own conferences, your own gatherings, your own movements, your own Facebook groups, your own whatevers, because you guys are doing it right. That's not at all. I don't read that in the pages of scripture at, at, by any means. And I've seen too many movements and too, too many denominations, they have their verse or handful of verses or whatever, and they die on that hill. I want to say this, if you're going to die on the hill for something, make it be about Jesus. Because what we do is we focus on the differences, what divides us and what makes us different, instead of saying, let's talk about Jesus. 
And as we talk about Jesus, do we believe that he is the son of God? Yep. That's a big one. Okay. Do we believe that he died for our sins? Yes. Okay. That's a big one. Do we believe that he rose again? Yes. That's a big one. Okay. Do we believe that he's coming back? Yep. Okay. We are four for four right here. Those are really big ones to make sure we get right. Now, what we do is we look at, well, what's their view on this and what's their view on that and how often do they practice this? And what does it look like when they do that? Could you imagine the people that we talked to in this last week if we sat down with them and started telling them about all the different movements and all the different isms and all the different denominations? Now, you got to pick one. And if you're going to pick this one, this is what it looks like. And if you're going to do this one, this is the one you have to act like. And if you're going to do this one, this is the one you have to dress like. Could you imagine what that would, would be like for that person? No, we said follow Jesus. That's it. Our labels, our tags, whatever, they give us this pride, right? Like, this is part of who I am. We put it in our, our profiles. We put it in our Twitter and Facebook and Instagram profiles. I am hashtag this. And we put them in our hashtags. And listen, I've been guilty of that. Shame on me. Hashtag Jesus. That's where, that's where I'm at, right? Galatians 3, 26 to 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male or female. They are all what? They are all one in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ? Well, then you are one. You are part of the body. You are, are with us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm turning the pages if you're listening to this. If you're watching this, then you, you see me uh, turning the pages. Forgive me. It is cold out in the garage. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing hostility. What he didn't say there was killing the passive aggressiveness. Killing the exclusivity of whether you're with us or not. He No, he, what he's saying there is you are one. You are part of one body. But we love the division of these different bodies and these different movements because it makes us feel better about ourselves. What school did you go to? How many degrees do you have that? Do you have the alphabet soup after your name? That must make me something. Paul says, no. That's not how it works at all. Uh, Matthew 5.13, Jesus told the religious leaders, for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. What should be elevated? Your tradition, your denomination, your affiliation, or the word of God? The answer is word of God, okay? Uh, Revelation chapter 22. Let's, let's go there. Uh, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this, the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. I'm not, I'm not throwing a stone at any denomination of, of, of adding or subtracting from the word of God. I want to say that first. Because someone will message me and say, well, what about you think? And, and I, I get that. Here's what I'm saying. When we make creeds and confessions the equivalent or, or talk about them as such with the Word of God, that is wrong. That is a human gathering there. There is only one inspired writing. It is 
the Word of God. And as far as I can tell, we have all the Word of God that we're going to have of the Word of God. And I'm not saying creeds and confessions and catechisms and all those things are bad, but when you use them to elevate yourself as some sort of pious religious leader, religious elite, because I have them or they're a part of my devotion, if you want to have them part of your devotion, that's great. You know, I have the uh, morning and evening devotion by Charles Spurgeon. I have a, a number of other devotions. If I use them, that's great. If I quote from them, that's fine. But it doesn't make me any better than you because I read something like that. It actually makes me look quite foolish that I have elevated them to such a place that I say, you got to get in these things. you got to know these things. Says who? who? Who said that? Who said that that's what we're supposed to do? You or church fathers who have come before you. And I'm not trying to disvalue church fathers, but unless they're in the inspired word of God, it is different. Uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 9 says, have no part in foolish controversies. We don't necessarily call them controversies as much as we just exclude people. We just kind of box them out, right? They're not a part of that. Uh, Paul in Philippians 3, 4 through 7, loved to give his resume. Well, he didn't love. I shouldn't say it that way. Paul gave his resume to say, if anybody should be flexing on somebody, I'm fit to tell you right here, this is what my resume looks like. And Paul's resume in that day, quite impressive. So for all the degrees or, or whatever you want to have, Paul's was quite impressive. He said, listen, if anybody has any reason to brag, if anyone has any reason to modify their Twitter bio or Facebook bio or Instagram bio or LinkedIn bio or any other bio you got, he said, let me tell you a little something. Have you heard of these guys? Have you heard of this tribe? Have you heard of this training? Yeah, I, I have all that. We love to do that. Here's what happens. When we start to do this, this is the danger, and this is why I share that text, we begin to seek pulpits and platforms rather than seeking people. The pulpit and the platform that I have allows me to have a profile picture of me bringing the Word of God, right? I've done that. This is me. Somebody snapped a picture of me a couple years ago. I was like, that's cool. I'll grab that, post that. And the pulpit and platform then becomes something that is good for my pride, and it's good for my ego, and it's good for my place, because I have a pulpit and I have a platform, then I must be something. And what happens is I love my pulpit and platform more than I actually love the people that I'm supposed to be serving. And we stop being shepherds, and we are other things. We're doctors, we have you know different degrees. We're leaders. We're these different. We love to talk leadership. I'm not against leadership. Essentially, we begin to tell our people, because of my degrees and books and study and diplomas, my networks or influence, you should listen to me. Have you ever listened to somebody be introduced at a conference? Depending on the conference, they will give a rundown of this individual. Should the fact that the individual has been invited to speak at a conference be enough for the hearers of the conference to go, I want to hear what they have to say. They've been invited to come to this place. I paid to come here. I assume they're not putting up any just guy that's going to willy-nilly get up there and wing it, right? I think he knows, what, but we got to go through the list. Why? Because us mentioning their credentials is good for us to mention their credentials. And it's good for them to hear that. When they get up there, we go, ooh, here we go. Now we got something. I'm not saying credentials are bad. I'm saying how we're using them is toxic and it's dangerous. And I don't, I don't want to be a part of it that way by any means. Isn't that why we try to 
this idea of influence and lording things over people. Isn't that why we originally tried to break free from like the Catholic Church and some of the things that were happening there as Christians? We said, no, we don't want part of that. And we're replicating it on the same level. Aren't we, aren't we great, easy, and great to condemn religious leaders and their piety and how they really thought they were something and how they held themselves in high regard and they had these long flowing robes? and all. We don't do it that way, right? But ours is more of modern day. We do it. It's happening. And if you've been to these conferences and you've and you met these people, and I'm not saying conferences are bad, but you meet these people, you pick up on pretty quickly, is this genuine? Is this real? Is this person really for me and, and with me? Or are they just trying to create an audience and a page and a following? Because it's not hard. It's not hard. I will say this as a, as a warning. And you know this, right? I'm going to say this as a warning. Perception is not always reality. What appears online is not always true in real life. You know that, right? Like, you know that. Social media is a billboard, not a window. And so when you get these celebrity, uh, we'll call them pastors, when you get these celebrity pastors or authority, they're all over the place, men and women, who really believe they are something and, 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 and really make much of themselves, that's not always who they are in real life. I've said that before. Check out, you know, the, the for me personally to hold myself accountable. You know, my wife um, follows my stuff. I have an elder who follows our stuff. I serve at a church. Um, that's one big fear I have. I, I don't ever want to come across as um, a fraud. I don't because I think it hurts the kingdom. If you don't like me or you don't like what I'm saying today, we'll be okay. You'll be okay. I'll be okay. We'll move on. It's fine, but it hurts the kingdom. And there's a bunch of unbelievers out there watching us put ourselves in boxes and labels and hashtags. It's happening all the time. And they don't want any part of it. And I'm not sure if our modern day religious elite really care. Because we'd rather just talk about high stuff, high theology, high doctrine. That stuff is important. But when it divides us and it segregates us and puts us in funnels... We're losing the battle for the lost souls here. But I'm not sure that's always an issue. I'm not sure that that's always an issue going after the lost when you get to a certain point. I just, I just don't. We love to get together and talk about how smart we are. We love to get, to get together and talk about you know certain, I'm just going to say certain things of, of faith and certain things of our, our vocation, if you will. We love to talk about that. Lost people, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we love to talk about things that make us feel better about ourselves. Let's get get together and let's hug, high five, and handshake each other and tell each other how wonderful we are. Oh, by the way, there's a world of people going to hell who don't know Jesus. We've lost that. We've lost that. Uh, and, and, and I think, too, and it's a blessing and a curse. I talked to a guy on the phone about this today. This, you know, Our social media has really expedited this, this culture of this, you know, where... Everybody's a coach, everybody's a pastor, everybody's an authority because you have a birth date and you can create a social media account. I have had people through social media, particularly through the pursuit of manliness, reach out to me and say, are you this? Like, are you of this faith or this denomination or whatever? And I won't get into it because I'd rather tell you what, what I am about, right? They'll ask me about my isms, Armenianism and Calvinism and other isms. Are you, where are you at with this? Where do you, uh, they ask about premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. I believe in Jesus, right? Uh, Reformation movement, restoration movement. What's your church? What's your? What do you guys? You know, 
We're Jesus, man. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you, I'm about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the Bible. That's, that is exactly what I am about. I'm not kidding. That's it. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe in Genesis 1. God created absolutely everything out of nothing. It's one of the most remarkable stories ever. It is the remarkable story ever, right? Everything out of nothing. And here we go. We got light. We got water. We got giraffes. We got all this stuff. He creates human beings. Genesis 3. We have Satan tempting Eve and Adam with. Did God really say? That's a question that has been just uh, consistent throughout the history of the world. I believe in Genesis 6. I believe Noah and the flood. We called dibs on the rainbow, right? Long time ago. That's God's. He's already called it. You know, Genesis 12, we have Abraham. I'll make you into a great nation. Through you, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Well, that did come true, right? Because the gospel came to the Jews and the Gentiles. I am a Gentile. It came to me. Thank you, Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then I believe that the nation of Israel ended up in Egypt. And I believe they were there. And God freed them. He used a man named Moses to free the nation of Israel. And Moses led the nation of Israel on the desert floor for 40 years. And then I believe he tapped him out and said, all right, it's time for Joshua to do this. Joshua led the nation of Israel through all these different battles and campaigns, etc. And then Joshua's done and we go through judges and we go through kings and we have prophets in the whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is about, hey, we need a redeemer. We need a Messiah. Someone is coming. It's Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I believe in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. He's here. Four gospel writers writing to four different audiences saying, we found the Messiah. Here he is. Acts is the start of the early church. I believe the church, with the power of the Holy Spirit, did things that turned the world on its head. Leaders of leaders said, what is going on? We cannot have an answer for this. And they tried to kill them to stop the gospel, and it didn't work. And then Romans to Revelations, Jesus is going to come back. He is going to return. But while you're here, this is how you live amongst other people. He is alive. Jesus is alive. Now we're moving. Now we're doing something. That's what somebody lost needs to know. Jesus is alive. And if you will give up your mortal body for an immortal body, he'll let you live forever. He'll raise you from the dead. That's the greatest story ever. You'll have eternity with Jesus. Jesus died for my sins. I need to repent of my sins. I need to be baptized. I need to walk in a new life. And that Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in me, will raise me from the dead. That's what I believe. I believe he will return. I don't know when he will return, and you don't know when he will return either. I do not completely know how this all works out, but here's what I do know. Jesus will come back. I know, but I read that book about being left behind. Jesus will come back. Yeah, but what about how many years, and what's that going to look like if you are in Christ? The Bible says you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry. There's nothing that man can do to you. There's nowhere you're going to go that, that you are beyond his reach. It's an incredible story. They need to hear it. They don't need to see us calling timeouts and having holy huddles together. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3-10. through 10. I'm going to end with this. 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, chapter, or, forgive me, chapter 6, verses 3-10. through 10. We put no obstacle in the way of, of, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in infliction, in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, 
genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known, as, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. When you have Christ, you have everything. Think about it. What am I representing? Am I concerned with the lost? If the gospel came to me, who else is it supposed to come to? Think about it. 